Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So there's an old joke I used to hear a lot, and this is the kind of corny thing I guess we used to do <laughs> down here in the South when I was growing up. Somebody would say they were from L.A., and when you would say, oh, really? And they would say, yeah, lower Alabama. Not the L.A. that is Los Angeles, but the L.A. that is lower Alabama. And I said before, growing up in the 80s and 90s, I guess that's the kind of thing that passed for humor you know, back then. But it is really interesting to kind of think about how those two regions can be so different. Lower Alabama, if you will, kind of encompassing a lot of the the SEC territory, the SEC footprint, and frankly, you know, Northeast Georgia, not too different than Lower Alabama and, you know, these parts of the SEC, but way out west in Los Angeles, man, things are just so different. Life is just so different. The media attention is just so different. Los Angeles is just kind of this different world in comparison to what's happening in la lower alabama northeast georgia central arkansas you know wherever else it's just a kind of a different world and and to a lot of tv folks sometimes you sort of get the impression that it's kind of more attractive like like part of the reason why college football is popular as it is i would say as a sports kind of undercovered meaning that you know the level of tv attention that it gets in comparison its popularity lower than it should be Part of that I've always assumed, and maybe this is just kind of an inferiority complex on my own part, but part of that I've always assumed is is because way too many people in this L.A., lower Alabama, like college football, as opposed to the other L.A., which is Los Angeles. You know, the glitz and glamour of Los Angeles kind of gravitates towards other things. Watch Sports Center on any given day. It's like, how much of Sports Center is devoted to? Will the L.A. Lakers be like the nine seed and the play-in for the NBA playoffs? Not winning the title. The team that actually won the title gets very little attention. The team that played in the NBA Finals gets very little attention. It's all this obsession with the Los Angeles Lakers and can they kind of crack the play in? Can they approach a winning record? Can they do this? Can they do that? It's the obsession with the glitz and the glamour of uh, of Los Angeles. And that's why the NBA sometimes, I believe, gets more TV coverage than its popularity suggests it should get because the right kind of people seem to like it. Folks who live in glitzy, glamorous cities like Los Angeles. And so there's a little bit of a desire, I think, for college football to kind of move that direction too. That part of the problem that boardroom folks executives tv uh you know decision makers see with college football is okay well it's great that it's so popular down in sec country but sec countries a lot of lower alabama working class folks who are just regular people kind of raising a family doing a job wouldn't it be great if we had some of the the glitz and glamour of la los angeles more connected to what's happening in college football and that's why when a guy like lincoln riley leaves norman oklahoma and moves out there to coach at usc and you know, all the attention that gets paid to the to the big house he's going to live in all that kind of stuff Stuff. but there's all this like buzz around Lincoln Riley in Los Angeles we've told you before that it's been kind of an interesting offseason where there seems to be this desire to kind of chase the buzz and once again the kind of the NBA ification of college football where in in the NBA what's happening off the court in the offseason seems to be of paramount importance and what's happening on the floor during the games during the season sometimes get pushed to the back burner as weird as that is that's kind of the way the NBA is covered and there seems to be a group of folks that kind of want to push college football into that same direction and the rival of a guy like Lincoln Riley at USC seems to to kind of be an example of that Uh, I want to show you this tweet here for a moment and look I'll admit that there's a portion of this tweet that's probably not meant to be taken like 
totally seriously. It's almost kind of like a tongue-in-cheek type deal. But but to the extent that the tweet exists at all, it exists to kind of echo uh, a sentiment that is kind of out there right now. Like Lincoln Riley in USC started spring practice, and Colin Cowherd, you know him from Fox Sports, big, loudmouthed guy who has been a big Lincoln Riley fan and a big fan of Riley there at USC. Here's what he said on Twitter yesterday. Part of this is probably intended to be sarcasm, but it's also mocking a sentiment that does actually exist. So Cowherd on Twitter says, Sources tell me that Lincoln Riley's first USC practice was flawless. One observer noted, some are calling it the greatest practice ever on a college campus. Now, I don't take Cowherd totally seriously uh, about that tweet, but I think the humor there is mocking things he said in the past. Other people are saying, of, oh my gosh, can you believe all the buzz that Lincoln Riley has out there at USC? Can you believe how Lincoln Riley's got everybody talking because he's got transfer quarterback and transfer this, he himself transferring to the new program, and there's all this off-season excitement being generated around uh, USC. And if you don't believe Colin Cowherd, what he says there, how about Lane Kiffin there as well? You know, Kiffin's always really active on social media, and he's also no stranger to that Los Angeles scene there as well, kind of attracted to the glitz and glamour on all of that. He also gave a shout-out on Twitter recently to uh, Lincoln Riley. Let me show you this from uh, Lane Kiffin. So one of the things they're trying to market him as down in Oxford, Mississippi, is the Portal King. There's an Ole Miss t-shirt with uh, Lane's visor, and it says Portal King, Ole Miss, and there's all kinds of other stuff there, too. I'm not even really sure what all those watches and stuff are supposed to be. But uh, but the Portal King t-shirt, in reference to that, Lane Kiffin tweets to Lincoln Riley, I think they meant uh, to send this to you. Basically, Kiffin saying that the real Portal King here is Lincoln Riley because of Caleb Williams and all that other kind of stuff. So Lane Kiffin helping contribute to the buzz for Lincoln Riley. Colin Cowherd helping to contribute to the buzz for Lincoln Riley. And Riley himself kind of gladly taking all this of, ooh, how exciting is it to have a new coach? And how exciting is it to have a transfer quarterback? And you know, even coaches who you kind of think of as knowing better or you kind of think of as above all of this, even they've kind of participated in, in, in some of this kind of stuff too. Do you remember the other day we talked to you about Nick Saban after Alabama's first spring practice and you know right there in the immediate aftermath of it talking about how good Jameer Gibbs had done and how good uh, 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 Jermaine Burton had done and Elias Ricks you know you know Kirby Smart the kind of coach who might be let's wait and watch the film and let's see who did a good practice you know uh, Nick Saban was also willing to kind of hype up his own transfers there as well and we just kind of live in a time right now where this off-season college ball conversation, this spring college ball conversation, feels a little bit like what you kind of have happening in a place like the NBA, where it's about, hey, how good can L.A. be? How important can Los Angeles be? Let's forget Milwaukee or any team like that. Let's let's focus in on Los Angeles because if we can matter in Los Angeles, that means we really matter. If we don't matter in L.A., maybe we don't matter all that much at all. And let's talk about the 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 buzz and the excitement of uh, a transfer more so than the team that actually won the national championship a year ago, the Georgia Bulldogs. Oh, yeah, remember them? And what's funny is is it certainly seems like that Georgia is, is quite content to have it be this way, that Georgia is quite content really not to generate any of its own buzz at all. If, if anything, winning the national championship, have, having gotten over the hump that existed for this program, doesn't seem to, to change Georgia – at all or or change the man in charge of this at all in Kirby Smart and I actually think that's kind of a really good thing and for a minute or two here I'm gonna try to explain to you why so keep in mind what I just shared with you a moment ago that Colin Cowherd maybe half kiddingly but not all kiddingly because he's been vomiting out praise for USC on social media now for for several months 
saying, oh, flawless practice, greatest of all time. Oh, my gosh, Lincoln Riley's just off to such a fast start there at UCA, USC. No games have been played. Uh, you know, team with a losing record a year ago. We don't even know how much better they'll be this upcoming year. But, oh, my gosh, the impact Lincoln Riley's already making at USC. Buzz for this, buzz for that. Everybody's excited about transfers. Everybody's excited about all the new stuff happening in college football. And yet, same old Georgia just kind of moves right on down the path, <laughs> taking care of business, trying to get tougher, trying to be better, trying to be, even improve upon what was a national championship season a year ago. And Kirby Smart not quite afraid to call out a bad practice when he sees it. So in light of all the buzz happening other places, that just doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that impresses Kirby Smart very much because yesterday, reflecting about his own team after a uh, after a practice, Kirby Smart apparently wasn't too happy about what he saw. This was Kirby from yesterday. In terms of leadership, you know, we probably – we're still working on that. You know, we're, we're not where we need to be in terms of um, leadership, guys challenging guys. I thought it was really good on Saturday in terms of leadership. And then things got a little tough out there today, whether you call it – Tuesday, two days off, I don't know. I, I can't say it was hot. I mean, it felt mighty good to me, but we didn't have uh, the level of practice I would expect. And you would think that whether it's the quarterback, the receiver, whoever the leaders are, they're going to stand up and push the guys. And we probably didn't get what we needed out of that today. I was a little disappointed in the, the practice. So I don't know if if maybe this is just too pro-Georgia a take or whatever else. I guess I'm always open to the possibility that that might be true. But there is an element of what Smart says there that actually sounds pretty good to my ears. This notion of, oh, we got a long way to go with leadership. Hey, we had a good practice on Saturday, but today it's kind of lacking. I wasn't too happy with what I saw today. I take some comfort in all of that. Like, if Kirby Smart or if, um, I don't know, some unnamed source had said, oh, man, Georgia's had flawless practices so far. I don't know. I'd be pretty worried about that like that doesn't sound like Kirby Smart it sounds like maybe this is a different kind of thing that's been before if anything around Georgia's being called flawless that's not the way that Kirby Smart typically speaks or if Smart was was uh, aggressively praising newcomers you know let's say like just for instance uh, Eric Gilbert back practicing again hasn't been there for a while If, if Smart was just buzzing about how good Gilbert looked or this incoming freshman oh my gosh wait till you see those guys you'd be left to wonder wait is this Kirby Smart did somebody uh did somebody uh, take his soul and, and, and replace it with somebody else because that's not, not really the way that Kirby Smart speaks and you know th- what Smart said yesterday just feels a little bit more like kind of what you're used to getting from him of there is a standard some days we approach it Saturday maybe we did some days we don't today was an example of, of not but the standard has not changed because we've won the national championship, nor has my evaluation of that standard change post-national championship. I actually take that to be pretty – I take some, some comfort in that because if you look at the way in which Georgia went, you know, went on the path towards winning the national title a year ago, it was very much the same kind of thing. It was also with kind of a lack of buzz, not doing it the way that previous teams had, had done it, marching to the beat of their own drum on all of that, being tougher than everybody else, being more complimentary than everybody else, being more – 
you know, what I think of as kind of decentralized, anti-fragile, not putting a whole lot of faith in one or two superstar players, but putting a lot on the entire structure of the organization, guys on both sides of the ball, multiple names contributing in a big way towards Georgia winning a national championship, the kind of thing that led to even a defense that's going to have a whole bunch of first-round picks. Some people even called it a no-name defense because not one guy stood out over top of the rest of the uh, college football world or the rest of his teammates there at UGA. It was kind of a buzzless path towards a national championship a year ago, and Georgia seems to be kind of on a buzzless start to the 2022 campaign there as well. When it comes to kind of the artificial manufactured buzz at a place like USC and Lincoln Riley, I will take that any day of the week. And to kind of finish up this topic, let me just say this this way. I've told you before that I believe that currently right now for the 2022 season that Georgia is undervalued. Georgia is actually better for this upcoming year than some people probably realize. I, I, I do truly believe that to be true. However, I can't promise you that Georgia will win the national title um, this season. I, I can't do that. There is a reason that other teams will be favored over Georgia to bring home the trophy. I'll, I'll fully acknowledge that. However, let me say this, and I hope you'll hear me very clearly on this. The way in which Georgia has handled winning the national title leads me to believe that there are more national titles coming for UGA again soon. They are not impressed with themselves. Now, they are impressive, but they are not self-impressed here. And the approach to the start of spring practice, an example of that, players seem to be saying the right thing. Kirby Smart himself seems to be unchanged by all of this. This was a phenomenal accomplishment, winning a national title for the first time in 41 years. But the people in that building, whether it be players on a short-term basis, coaches on a long-term basis, they believe that more work is still left to be done. And they may do that without the spotlight and attention that goes to the folks who live in a glitzy, glamorous city like Los Angeles. But you get the impression that the Georgia folks are just kind of fine with that, that UGA is going to go about its business in just kind of a different kind of way. But it was a recipe for success in 2021, and it may be a recipe for success many times in future years to come as well. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management. Of course, you can find us 9.45 in the morning, whether it be first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. That's on video. Live on video after that, 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. We're on the radio every day in Athens on Athens Sports Radio 963F and as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, Apple, Spotify, and everything else. Uh, all back to normal with the podcast yesterday for the most part after the uh, weird glitch the first day of the week. So uh, we're happy about all of that and happy to have you as a big part of what we're doing here. Man, let me tell you this. I am so thankful to have my friends at Breda Pass Management a part of what we do here at Dog Nation Daily there as well. First of all, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Matt Breda and the team over at Breda Pass Management, we've known them for a while. Matt's a big dog fan, big sports fan in general. We've hung out at tailgates and done things like that before. So it's always cool for me to do business with good people, you know, sports fans, you know, folks who have a you know, similar mindset, similar approach to life as those in our audience. I can tell you that Matt over at uh, Breda Pass Management is certainly an example of that. And here's what a lot of you may also be aware of, that Breda Pass Management is the official pest control provider of the University of Georgia, UGA Athletics. That's a really cool thing. It's always great to support those that support UGA, and that's what Breda Pass Management does, taking care of Sanford Stadium and Foley Field and the equestrian complex, doing big things like that, and not just the bugs. Like I mean, obviously, you have folks that kind of do the bugs, or folks that do the critters, but they kind of do both, whether it be like flying squirrels in your attic or or or, or you know termites you know in the uh, in woodwork. I mean, which is kind of a big factor for folks who live in Georgia. Uh, that's what Breda Pest Management does. They do all of that, and 
You know those termites that can be kind of like silent destroyers, so you got to have really, really dedicated, hardworking folks protecting you from all of that, and that is what Breda does, and they've been doing it since 1975. It's the pest control service that Dog Nation trusts, me included. We invite you to do the same thing there as well. So easy to get started with them, easy to learn more about them. It's BredaPest.com. That's online. Now, for those of you listening, radio podcast, Breda is spelled B-R-E-D-A. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. Make sure you check them out today. All right, uh, we'll get Mike Griffith coming up here in just a moment. Mike actually got to see a good bit of what Kirby Smart just described as a disappointing spring practice. We'll find out from Mike how disappointing it was. He actually got to watch a good bit of it yesterday. So I'm uh, certainly expecting Mike to have some interesting eyewitness accounts, kind of a behind-the-scenes look at kind of what was going on there at UGA practice. And so that'll be good stuff with Mike here coming up in a moment. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. Now, Stetson Bennett spoke to reporters yesterday, and – It was a wide-ranging, long interview. Bennett is, I think, a really refreshing guy to hear from because, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow, he's just so honest, at least from my perspective. He has a very honest take on almost everything going on. And, you know, if we had a longer show, we could get more into, like, the serious stuff that that Bennett was a part of yesterday. But sometimes it's just kind of nice to kind of be – I guess a little lighthearted for a moment, a little loose here for a moment. And so there was a very, very funny moment yesterday. And a lot of you shared this with me on social media. First of all, I'm always amazed at how popular these game shows remain to be, uh, Jeopardy included. I mean, almost anything that happens in Jeopardy has a way of becoming pretty big news because just a ton of, I mean, and have been now for a million years, but a ton of folks just love to watch Jeopardy. And so yesterday there was kind of a cool moment with uh, Georgia and Bennett in particular being mentioned on the very, very well-known and popular game show. Let me let you see what happened yesterday on Jeopardy uh, with uh, Stetson Bennett's name being mentioned as part of a clue. Here is from yesterday. All for 800. In 2022, quarterback Stetson Bennett led this school to the national title over SEC rival Alabama 33-18. Margaret. It was the University of Georgia. First of all, you love the reaction there at the end. I think that's uh, really good. And so many of you were kind enough to share that with me, and I certainly appreciate all of that. Well, so it's kind of weird how the timing on this went because that was yesterday's show. And so there was a lot of social media buzz. But as I said before, I mean, Jeopardy is still just this gigantically popular thing. And so there's all this, like, uh, social media buzz about this as Bennett was speaking during his press conference. And one of the reporters there at the end kind of brought this up to Bennett. Bennett was already aware of it. It's just really f- amazing just how big of a deal this became very, very quickly yesterday. And it led to a pretty funny exchange. This reporter with Stetson and Bennett, take a listen to this. Um, according to several social media sources, you were in Jeopardy question tonight. I got a text earlier. Did you got that? I okay. did. I hope they got it right. The question was, in 2022, quarterback Stetson Bennett led this school to the national title over SEC rival Alabama. Oh, well, that's a, it's kind of, I didn't have a question. I just wanted it's to kind of helping them along with the question. I hope they weren't like, who's the quarterback? Nobody would have gotten that. <laughs> so what Bennett says there at the end is both funny and true is that most of the time when Jeopardy, and this is one of those things that typically goes viral as well when it does happen, but most of the time when college football comes up on Jeopardy, maybe sports questions in general, but specifically college football, because I said before, it's a lot of folks in lower Alabama who kind of like it. Um, but when college football comes up on Jeopardy, I mean, it's just like crickets. Like there was like a 
<laughs> one time there was like a whole college football topic. Uh, a lot of you remember this because the video of this went super viral in our little college football community here. But like none of the contestants knew any of the answers. So it's not just, you know, Bennett being self-deprecating there. It is true that oftentimes the Jeopardy contestants, the type of folks who become Jeopardy contestants, don't always know a ton about college football. So I'm actually halfway impressed that the uh, gal there, you know, the contestant, she had the answer right there ready to go. And she, University of Georgia, go dogs. I mean, she she didn't say go dogs, but I mean, she basically had the answer ready to go. And as far as the Bennett part of all this goes, to me, he's incredibly easy to root for. And we'll get more into like the serious part of what Bennett had to say on, on tomorrow's show. And we got plenty of time to do all of that. But it's kind of cool how relaxed Bennett can come across and how comfortable in his own skin that he is. And willing to be self-deprecating understanding sense of humor well enough to even know how to do that you know laughing at himself of nobody knows who i am i'm not famous even though now he's been on jeopardy he's been on good morning america and he's kind of a little bit more of a pop cultural figure after having led georgia to the national championship he seems unchanged by all of that and i think that's just kind of a good thing so to me bennett very easy to root for uh, it's an interesting quarterback situation going on there at uga some of bennett's words on the serious side and kirby smart yesterday a part of that we'll certainly get there but for a moment, it's just kind of appropriate to stop and appreciate something kind of funny, and I thought that was pretty funny with Bennett there yesterday. So it's a busy day for us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. A lot going on with UGA spring practice. Let's continue that conversation right now with a uh, guy who was there on hand. Got a chance to uh, see all of that as we wrap up around the doghouse for you here today on this uh program but a guy who got a chance to see that and be a part of all that our buddy mike griffith on hand let's talk to him now dog nation daily presented by breda pest management from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider we will say hello to mike griffith here got a chance to see good bit of georgia practice yesterday i'm actually really curious to um find out what mike saw from having been there but mike before that are you a jeopardy fan you watch jeopardy uh i don't watch much tv at all ba but my my work day goes well beyond five o'clock so i don't get much tv time it's amazing how popular these game shows still are like jeopardy was a huge deal when i was a kid like yesterday after the bennett thing happened i mean i had several people reach out to me about it there were um you know you know Bennett himself had already heard about it by when he was asked about it the reporter that asked the question obviously had had plenty of people reach out to him about it it's just amazing how these game shows are still so popular Jeopardy included here that the moment something like that happens everybody's kind of already talking about it not DVRing it watching later anything like that but people are just you know loving that Jeopardy and and uh, able to react to that pretty quickly I thought the uh, reaction all that yesterday was actually pretty fun yeah I mean it's great to see Georgia getting a lot of publicity and and hype uh, out of their national championship season, right? I mean, you want to ride that as long and as hard as you can. It's great momentum. It helps on the recruiting trail. It helps with the branding. You know, I think Georgia's got a nice, clean brand anyway. I think that she is a very attractive uh, logo for people, you know, that, that are on the fence. I mean, the, the dogs have their faithful fans, and there'll be a few more on the bandwagon in the state of Georgia. But, you know, to me, that's that's a brand that can pop up in the Foot Locker in California and Minnesota and New Hampshire and and somebody might grab that power G because they like to look at that red and black. So uh, anytime you get an opportunity to have that sort of publicity, uh, I, I think it's great. And it certainly has been a long time coming. So yesterday, speaking of a long time coming, uh, a chance to watch a good bit of Georgia practice. I wasn't there. You were. You were. Uh, what'd you see, Mike? Well, I, you know, a lot of talent on the field. It didn't look as crisp. 
Uh, and, and Kirby later even said, but, but why would it, right? Last year's team was a national championship squad. I mean, that was a dialed-in, drilled-in group. And when we saw those guys, I mean, it was crisp. It was sharp. And, and there was, you know, like you knew which group was – I mean, bodies weren't melded together. It just – yesterday was a bit of a cluster. You know, largely – there was a lot of boosters there. There was a lot of people around the field. I think that kind of slowed things down. While we were there, Kirby wasn't, you know, his, his usual uh, – he wasn't quite as loud or as aggressive as he usually is on the microphone. He was a little more relaxed. And then later on, he said he wasn't happy with practice because he wants to. He wants guys holding each other accountable, and that was something that happened last year. But again, you got to look at the the way the personnel has changed. And and Kirby said there's a leadership vacuum, and you know, including Stetson Bennett. I mean, he's not happy with Stetson Bennett's leadership. And I'm getting ready to post a story, and Kirby was very sharp tongued about going to class, doing the right thing. I mean, what in the world? That is not what we expected. And yet there's no doubt that Stetson is the guy. And there's no doubt that Stetson was the key last year. But, you know, just like Kirby did with Richard LeCount, uh, you know, he goes after guys, uh, you know, that he expects a lot from. And he's got Stetson Bennett in his crosshairs. He wants to see more and better from Stetson Bennett. What did you notice from new coaches? I mean, it seems like like a guy like, say, like uh, Chidera Yuzadaribe making a pretty big impact on recruits thus far. What uh, did you see from him on the practice field? Anything from Stacey Searles? Anything, you know, to me, I, when I've been to Georgia practices, and I don't get to go as frequently as you do, and frankly, nobody in the media gets to go all that frequently, but, but you go a lot more than I do. But when I have been there, it's always interesting to tell the different personalities. For instance, going back 2019 a good bit, you know, Sam Pittman, just kind of the cool, laid-back dude. Dale McGee, the best that I could tell, kind of cool and laid-back. You know, Todd Hartley, Glenn Schumann, even Smart himself, not laid-back. You know, very intense, very animated, loud enough to hear without, you know, any kind of amplification, just just loud guys in the practice field. The, the new coaches, anything about their on-field personality that you saw from them during practice? Well, I mean, obviously, well, Muschamp's playing a bigger role, and 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 Muschamp was loud, and he was aggressive. Uh, Coach Brown, you know, he he's new. DB coach is new, but he clearly, you know, talking with Keely Ringo, uh, this is a guy who's coming in. It's a veteran coach who's put some guys in the league. I think I think that's going to work out really well. I didn't see enough uh, of the outside linebackers coach to really get a read on that. Um, I was kind of at the other end of the field. Uh, you know, obviously Trey Scott, you know, still doing his thing. You know, those those big guys getting after it. You know, we couldn't really hear much from Coach Searles. He was kind of far away. Um, so not really sure what was going on with the offensive line there. But, um, you know, again, I mean, it, it, it's it's still Georgia. It's still a Kirby Smart team. But – and I don't know if you've had a chance to review the, the story I did last night about how Kirby approaches things. I thought it was really interesting he talks about every, you know, each day unto itself, right? When, what's important now, and and changing things up intentionally, and you know, you just kind of get the feeling that that right now is kind of a feeling it out process. The identity of the team is evolving. I think that's why Kirby's challenging Stetson. I think that's why his words were so sharp on the leadership angle. He needs leadership. This team needs leadership. You know, Jamari Salyer is gone. Jordan Davis is gone. Um, you know, you look around, you know, it's a lot of the guys that were leaders last year, they're no, no longer, I mean, Zemir White and James Cook, the leaders of the RB room. And, you know, um, you know, JT was even there to help set with the younger players. He was a captain for the first game. You know, a lot of the guys that, that were leaders last year, 
uh, are no longer with the team. You have 14 guys at the combine. So I just get the feeling that uh, I think the coaches are, are going to be fine. I think they have an idea what Kirby wants. But I think what Kirby wants to see is the team hold one another accountable. And I think that's why he's being so sharp and aggressive with his comments and laying down the law because he knows what this team needs if they're going to uh, win the SEC championship uh, for the first time since 2017. Um, you mentioned Will Muschamp a moment ago. You know that's been kind of one of the lingering mysteries. And when spring practice started, that's not something that Smart really took much step to clear up about how those responsibilities among Glenn Schumann and, and Will Muschamp, the described co-coordinators, how that's really being split up. You, you mentioned Muschamp a moment ago. Did seeing practice give you any more insight to that in any way? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's coaching. I mean, they're co-defensive coordinators, and, and Muschamp worked last year a lot with the Nickelbacks. And I think now he kind of oversees the secondary more. I felt like Will Muschamp was doing some of the things with the secondary that Kirby used to do. And I wonder if we're going to see Kirby float a little bit more, B.A. You know, because, you know, last year, you know, Kirby was kind of working with those DBs over the shoulder uh, of Coach Adai. Well, you know, Coach Brown is a vet. I mean, this guy's been around. I mean, it's a good, this was a really good hire. I know people look at Rutgers and don't understand, but this was a really good hire. This is a veteran coach. And Will now has been around Kirby for a year and knows how Kirby wants it done. Much like Mel Tucker, an older, experienced coach that I think Kirby trusts with that secondary. And so my sense is that we may see Kirby float more at practice. And, and be involved in other areas more. He always did to some degree. I just feel like he will, he'll delegate more responsibility to the secondary with Will as my read. And maybe he'll help Schumann out a little bit more now that Lanning's gone. It looks like Trey Scott is doing just fine with those Dean linemen. I mean, my goodness, the results speak loudly this year with three guys primed to be first-round draft picks. Uh, offensively, I, I think Munkin – you know, I think Munkin can handle it. I, and Munkin is a perfectionist. Um, you know, and Munkin is a guy that, you know, I was told, you know, ran on the field and grabbed somebody by the arm Saturday. Like, they weren't doing the right thing. And Munkin's there on him physically. Um, so I, I don't know that Kirby has to really push over there because I think Munkin is, is really all over it over there. Cyril's a the guy that's been around the block. The guy's 56, 57 years old. He's coached under Mac Brown, Mark Rick a couple of times. I mean, this is this guy's had you know offense leading the ACC in rushing the last two years. Mark Rick hired him twice. Kirby liked him enough to hire him. Tells you a lot because that's such a key position. Um, I, my hope is that this takes a little bit of the. I don't know. If, I don't think pressure is the right word, but um, in maybe response. You know, Kirby. Kirby strikes me burns so hot, Brandon. I just wonder, and I know you've wondered it too. I think everybody has. Can you can you run that hot and burn that hot and have longevity in your career with the way this coaching cycle now is going? We're seeing a lot of guys burn out. And, and nobody wants to see Kirby Smart burn out, but he's human, right? And he's been doing this a long time. I just I wonder if maybe now, I don't want to say he's going to take his foot off the pedal because I don't think he will, but I just wonder if he can spread himself out a little bit more and not have to bring as much uh, emotionally every single day at practice. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, one more thing on the on the Muschamp thing here for a moment. You know, Smart's even kind of downplayed 
the importance of having like that key decision maker at defensive coordinator that like like who ultimately is the guy you know calling the defense smart I think would would say and has said that's in his mind overrated and I guess I'm curious your thoughts on that because I would say on the offense side of the ball that's definitely not true that there is a decision to be made about the play that you're running and we see the difference between a good offensive coordinator and someone who's you know lesser in that ability obviously Georgia's got a good one right now and Todd Monk and the results speak for uh, for themselves how about when it comes to of the two co-coordinators one guy having the final say over how things get done I mean how important is it to have a guy in charge of all of that even between the two co-coordinators or do you buy Smart's thought on this of we make too much of that kind of thing well you know I I think you can make the argument either way um, you know, I, I think that what happens during the course of the week is, you know, these coaches, they, they meet endlessly. I mean, Kirby's staff works endlessly. They work longer nights than anybody. He's a hard guy to work for because he's a demanding guy to work for. And they go every oh, over every single detail, over every single what if, over every single instance. You know, it's, it's pre-planned. If, if this team does A, we do B. If they do B, we do C. If they do C, we do E, E, F, G, et cetera, Right. So they kind of have an idea going in what they're going to do uh, in terms of play calls in down and distance situations. They're very well rehearsed in the other team's uh, tendencies. And so I think he looks at it as somewhat systemic. Uh, and then he's involved too, if you'll notice, or he has been. That'll be curious to see now who actually, you know, is up in the you know booth dialing up the play. You know, Landing was, you know, went on the sideline. But you saw him motioning. You see Kirby. It was almost like, I think, Lanny doing the front and Kirby doing the back. Does Muschamp, I wonder, uh, take that over? Maybe Will did a little of that last year. I'm not sure. But they all have jobs. So, you know, to me, the defensive coordinator and, and making the defensive, that's almost a byproduct of preparation. And, and I think Kirby's got veto power on the sideline at any point. And, and we've seen this too, Brandon. Georgia will call timeout more on defense than most teams you'll see. If Kirby sees something he doesn't like, they're going to call a timeout. They, we didn't see this. We weren't ready for this. We're, you know, our, we don't have the right package. So I, I think on defense, it is a little overrated. Offensively, I think it's more important because I think that it's more of a chess game and it's more of a getting a read and seeing things from the box. And that's what Munkin does so well. And also, let me say this, because for all of Kirby Smart's criticism of Stetson Bennett, one of the things Stetson does extremely well is his, is his checks at the line and his run call. People aren't probably aware of how much responsibility. When we say responsibility at the line, a lot of people shrug their shoulders. Listen, you're really flying the jet. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting flaps up, the wheels up. You know, you're, you're, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility, and Stetson does a really good job at the line of scrimmage of getting the team into, especially the run checks, getting them into the right run. That's a skill, right? That's an ability to read and make decisions quickly. Your offensive coordinator um, kind of has to be able to sniff out some of those weaknesses, and, and it's a little bit more of a field thing because he's, all, he's got a quarterback that's also operating somewhat independent in terms of making the right check at the line. There's a lot of trust there. That's why Stetson stays the quarterback. That's why continuity matters. So it's kind of a little different on offense, in my opinion, in my experience. Um, but I'll just say this. I, I think Will Muschamp's addition – continues to be one of the greatest things uh, that's happened for Kirby Smart, not just personally and having a, a peer, a guy he can look eye to eye to that he respects, that he trusts and equal, 
but also because of what Muschamp can. Muschamp was an extremely good defensive coordinator. I know people pile on because his head coaching didn't work out, but this guy's one hell of a tactician. And uh, I, I think it's a real benefit for Georgia football that Will's here right now, especially with Lanning having moved on. Well, I want to finish with this. You had a thing the other day, going back to your On the Beat video, about five players you'd like to see step up during spring practice. And obviously there's any number of names that can be included in a discussion like that. I think, Mike, the one name I would mention that you didn't have is Amarius Mims, former five-star offensive lineman. And frankly, I don't quite know how things for Mims are going to shake out here this spring. But speaking as a fan, someone who wants the best for Georgia, Mims emerging into some role, not probably as a tackle here this year. It seems like those two tackle spots are going to probably be locked down. Mm -hmm. But as a best five type guy so that Georgia can have the best possible offensive line, uh, it's, it's going to have. I thought the Georgia offensive line a year ago was good, not great. I think it remains to be seen uh, what's in store for that group here this year. But the emergence of a guy like Mims would certainly give Georgia a chance to go back and be kind of what it was in 2017, 2018, when I think it did truly have great offensive line play. I think Mims is a very important player here uh, this spring. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a chance to address him and you know kind of where he would fall for you on a list like that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, obviously, you know, a generational talent is, is the way Cedric Van Pran described him. And, and the reason he's not on that list is just because the offensive line is so good. They, they don't need him to win. They didn't need him to win last year. And then who do you take out? I mean, as you pointed out, Warren McClendon's a third year starter at right tackle. And, you know, Broderick Jones came in and I thought played extremely well at left tackle. Cedric Van Pran is a team leader up the middle. Uh, you know, and then you've got, you know, Warren Erickson. Um, you know, a guy, kind of a you know Swiss Army knife guy that can play everywhere. Um, assignment sound, you know, trust right now at left guard. I just don't know. Does Amaris Mims want to play guard, Brandon? I mean, I, and I don't know that sticking him in at guard is the right thing. He looks like he's a year away, like like Broderick Jones. I mean, it, you know, Broderick redshirted, I believe, and, and and finally got on the field. I feel like Mims is a, a year away. And it's not that he's not important because, you know, to your point, you want your five best out there. But, my goodness, if Tate Ratlitch is back, then he's probably, you know, another guard. So the reason why he's not higher on my list is because there's other answers there. It's not because he doesn't have the highest ceiling. Because if you ask me the five guys with the highest ceiling on the team, he would be among those five. But for this particular team to win, because this offensive line has so much depth and, and good experience coming back, he's not as important as, uh, you know, Pops. You know, as Kirby corrected us last night, it's going to be Pops moving forward. We'd heard, a, we'd heard other people call Jamon Dumas Johnson Pops before, but when someone brought his name up, Kirby said, I don't know who you're talking about because we call him Pops. That's the head coach telling you, guys, call him Pops. He's Pops. He's going to be a dude, right? Because you've got to have that Mike linebacker. You lost your whole linebacking court. So he's one of the three. You know, uh, you know, Adani Mitchell. You know, just a freshman last year. We saw some fantastic plays at times, but he needs to be able to take over games. I don't know if he'll grow into George Pickens. George was a generational guy. But need to see him play bigger and, and have more leadership than you would expect from a sophomore. I think Kiaris will lead the room. But I think A.D. Mitchell's got to develop into that guy that – that target that you know is going to be there on those third and 17s and third and 11s. I mentioned Kenny McIntosh is a leader of the running back room. I like Kendall Milton, but I think Kendall will do good things and, and Dejan as well. But Kenny is the guy that leads that room. You cannot have drop off there. I think there's a lot of talent there. I think this team 
is going to probably rely on the run a little bit more because I do like this offensive line better than I like last year's Brandon, just slightly better. Um, and you know, so that's why those guys are so important for players like that to have a good spring because they're going to have to evolve into leaders. I mentioned Kamari Laster. You've got to find that other corner. And, and I just, I trust him more than I do Nyland Green. Green had the off the field issues last year with the BB gun, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Lasseter, a guy that, that Kirby Smart called out and praised last fall, is making impact when he arrived. Seems like he would be the next man up. You got to have that corner opposite of Keeley. So it, it's not that I don't think Amarius is among the most talented because he, he's, and then Jalen Carter was the other one, right? And, and Kirby's mentioned maturity issues. And when you talk with other players at the combine and they say, he'll be great if he keeps his head screwed on, if he stays focused. Okay, well, that tells me that there's still a wrinkle of doubt there. I don't know. But when players are saying if and but, and the head coach is mentioning maturity, this guy has superstar top five potential, and you need him to be at his best. You need him to take that giant leap, be that team leader, to step into those Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt shoes and be solid and infectious and charismatic where nobody's worrying about you and you're taking care of everybody else. So Jalen Carter, a guy, uh, you know, to me that, you know, as they always say, it's always best when your best player is your hardest worker. And Jalen Carter right now is the best player on that team and he needs to become that leader. So those were the five guys that I mentioned ahead of Amarius. It was no disrespect to Amarius because, yes, he is unbelievably talented. We've all read Jeff Centel's reports on the guy. You look at him and you see a mountain. And if you're a worrier, you worry he could be in the portal if he doesn't play tackle. So you worry a little bit. But honestly, this offensive line is so stacked right now, he's not in my top five concerns. Uh, Mike, thanks for being here on the show today. Appreciate your time. We'll look forward to reading more from you at dognation.com and talk to you back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braid to Pest Management again very soon as well. Thanks, B.A. Have a good one. You too. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. There's actually, it's not breaking news now, but it broke earlier this morning. I want to address that involving UGA here in a moment as we go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. But before that, though, speaking of our friends at Royal Caribbean, about time to be on board. The wonderful independence of the seas. We're going to be there starting April 25th. Port Canaveral leaving out of that. Great, easy port to get to. Short drive from Atlanta, kind of where I am right now. Very, very convenient. Going to be on Independence of the Seas, going to Nassau in the Bahamas. Perfect day, Coco Cay. Two great destinations. Nassau is kind of a cool town and a lot going on there. Beautiful beaches or heading out for some snorkeling or really any number of ways to enjoy a great day there. And after a great day in Nassau, it's a perfect day in Coco Cay. It's the private island, which is exclusive for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And I can't say enough about it. I love perfect day coco okay the thrill side with the water park the chill side where you got like the largest freshwater pool in the bahamas you got you know floating cabanas uh, delicious food plenty of beverage was always kind of a nice thing uh there too and the stuff you do on board these royal caribbean cruise ships so much fun there as well whether it be playmaker sports uh bar or other cool restaurants uh you know especially restaurants like chops grill and azumi and uh johnny rockets there's just so many fun cool things to do on board a royal caribbean cruise ship and there's live music there's great entertainment broadway style shows 
really cool uh, water slide. Just It's just an unbelievable experience, and I want you to have it with me. We're going to be relaxed. I'm going to be just enjoying myself, and I want to enjoy myself with you. We don't get a chance to do this too much, uh, especially over the last couple of years. We haven't maybe seen each other in public as much as maybe we'd have liked to. Well, now it's time to get back out and start doing those kinds of things again. And doing this on board the Independence of the Seas makes a lot of sense. But we're leaving April 25th, and it's, what, March, whatever, today. So that means time is running out. This is the time to get it booked, get it done, get ready to go. Watch you on board uh, with us, Independence of the Seas. So go to dognation.com, link there at the top of the page. Or go, go to dognationcruise.com. That can help you. Uh, that'll help you get where you need to be. Our friends of the Cruise and Vacation Authority helping us get all this booked. Time to go is right now. Be there. Let's have a good time on the very first ever cruise, the Dock Nation, on board Independence of the Seas with Royal Caribbean starting April 25th, going to Nassau and Perfect Day, Coco Cay. So we have news to give you. This kind of erupted, I guess, online a little bit yesterday, and now it's a done deal. Joni, this announced early this morning, Joni Taylor, UGA Lady Dogs coach. Now, they had women's basketball coach at Texas A&M, and I don't know if you say this is a little bit of a trend now, in the SEC, but you certainly see examples of this. Georgia hiring Mike White, A&M hiring Joni Taylor, a lot of the stuff that LSU has done with its athletic director, Scott Woodward, uh, formerly of A&M himself, that when you have a chance to hire the sitting head coach, you do that. You, you know, someone that understands the grind in the SEC, uh, you, you make that hire so that you take the possibility of unmitigated disaster off the table. Hiring a mid-major type person, hiring someone with less experience brings a, an increased measure of risk in the discussion. And if you're A&M, hiring someone like Taylor prevents that. Now, why Joni wanted to leave Athens to go to College Station, I, I don't have any idea about that unless it's just for significantly much more money. Maybe that's the case here. I like Joni Taylor a lot. I think she was a very good salesperson for Georgia basketball, women's basketball, the Lady Dogs. I thought it was kind of cool that she's still dressed up for games. We've seen coaches get very casual, kind of post-pandemic, wearing almost like sweat clothes on the side lines the fact that Joni didn't do that I always kind of liked and I'm half kidding when I say that but also half serious too I thought it was kind of a nice touch that she was fashionable on the sidelines I like to see basketball coaches dressed up but the point is I guess for the folks who follow women's basketball more closely and there are plenty of people who follow it close uh, closer than I do uh, maybe the results on court you know some good some bad maybe uh you know i think the uh, jury was out on just how successful she was as uga women's basketball coach uh but nonetheless you know maybe better results the last couple of years but now moving on so uh we'll see what uh josh brooks steps up to do as he looks for another basketball coach after having just hired mike white away from florida brooks getting a chance to hire another basketball coach and uh we'll see how that plays out here coming up in the uh days ahead speaking of texas a&m little bit of online jab taken towards the Aggies a little bit over the course of the last 24 hours. Texas A&M just had its pro day, and at least according to one observer, things might not have gone all that well. Let me show you this. Some unofficial 40 times as clocked by a reporter on hand to cover this in uh, College Station. And my oh my, uh, and A&M, they are running slow. Now, a lot of folks thought they were running slow on the field during the year, but these 40 times speak to that there as well. DeMarvin uh, Leal, that's a defense line, 5.04. Leon O'Neal, that's a safety, 4.7. That's I mean, Georgia had a punter run faster than that. Isaiah Spiller, the running back, 4.63. Kenyon Green, 5.25. Jalen Watermeyer, that's the tight end, who, by the way, was a uh, – was it the Mackey Award? He was a Mackey Award finalist instead of uh, Brock Bowers, at least I think he was. He ran a 5.03. Now, you know, listen, there's some dispute about if these are the official times or or, or what, but this this these times really got a lot of attention. And I don't know. Here's what I'll say about all of this is that 
I hope the recruits are paying attention. And I, you know, I think Jimbo's a pretty good coach. And I think that A&M's going to probably do some winning. But all these recruits who rumor has it are going to A&M for all these NIL deals. Uh, <laughs> the real NIL is the NFL contract. And after three or four years in the A&M program, if you're running five-second 40, I don't know. I'm not, you better hope that NIL deal really cashed for you because the NFL paycheck ain't going quite, ain't, ain't going to hit quite as hard. So um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Just be really, really careful. Buyer beware on all these uh, situations, I guess, because it'd be one thing if one guy ran a slower time than would have been expected. But when four guys from the same program are all you know slower than their position group would dictate or slower than scouts were hoping they would be, I don't know. I start to look at. I start to look at what the uh, connecting fabric on some of that kind of stuff, and that is not a pretty picture for A&M based on some very slow times, at least reportedly so, uh, from their pro day as of yesterday. Interesting stuff from South Carolina coach Shane Beamer, who, speaking, you know, spring practice ongoing there in Columbia, and one of the things that, that Beamer openly acknowledged is the little bit of extra attention that South Carolina is getting this year compared to his first year. And some some thoughts about, you know, what might be happening around that program. Spencer Rattler arrives. Speaking of buzzy transfers, Rattler's a little bit of uh, that kind of thing. And and Shane Beamer knows that the next step for year two is not an easy one. Let me read you a quote. I thought this was kind of interesting. He says, we do have to handle success better. We talked about it in a team meeting this morning. We started out 2-0, and then we went 2-2. Two and two. And then from that point on, we never won more than two games in a row. We never lost more than two games in a row. He says, there's some positives in that. You never lost two in a row. But also, being able to handle that success when you have a great win over whomever it might be, Florida, being able to handle that success and perform better the following week. Then Beamer in the press conference acknowledges they're going to be a preseason top 25 team, he says. And he says, but perspective on that, there are about eight opponents who are going to be ranked ahead of us. And that may be a slight exaggeration. But Beamer is at least correct in this regard is that it seems like last few years, much like Auburn and the SEC West, that South Carolina has been kind of tucked away there as like toughest schedule in the country, even though the SEC East has been down comparison to the West. It's still playing Clemson every year out of conference, obviously having to play Georgia. And recently, you know, playing teams like, you know, Alabama out of the SEC West, things like that, that that uh, Gamecocks have been just stuck playing a very tough schedule. That's probably true again this year. And I think you're left to wonder, is Beamer right about this? Is South Carolina going to be a preseason top 25 team? ESPN does currently have them in their way too early top 25. And I've told you this before, that there is a chance there's a little bit of an excitement around Georgia's trip to South Carolina in September. It's always very hot in Columbia that time of year. But I do think this is the month in which that game is supposed to be played. Georgia-South Carolina, I think, just feels better when it's played in September. And the week before Gamecocks host Georgia, they travel to Arkansas. That's a game in which South Carolina will be an underdog. But it's also a game in which with Spencer Rattler quarterback, they could win. And you win that, you're undefeated early, as Beamer alluded to, handling that success better. All of a sudden, you get to host Georgia with a lot of attention around that game, maybe reminiscent of 2018 when both teams were ranked the top 25. You know, South Carolina got blown out back then. I believe they'll you know, be handled easily by Georgia this year there as well. But if you're looking for a Georgia game that might have a little bit of excitement around it, South Carolina game, possibly an example of that. By the way, speaking of for a moment here, the opposite of excitement. So Vanderbilt yesterday announced a new logo now this is a very off-season topic Vanderbilt's new logo but a lot of folks on the internet were kind of perplexed by all of this and I have to admit that I'm always amazed at like what some of the marketing type people 
what they get to do for a living and call this a job. If you're watching a video, if you're not watching video, this is not going to work quite as well. And I try not to do a lot of video centric type stuff here because such a huge number of folks listen to us, either podcast or radio. Some of you even listen on the video. You don't have the video even kind of clicked in here. But um, look at this side by side. And I realize this would be better if both these logos were like perfectly sized. But, you know, it's still the one on the left is the old Vanderbilt logo. That's the old logo. And yesterday, Vanderbilt made a huge deal about announcing a new logo. And the one on the right is the new logo. And so this is supposed to be like a symbol of Vanderbilt's commitment to excellence and charging towards a bright future. Like, it's just a V. Like, the other one's white inside a star, and this one's gold with a white background. Like, can you imagine being the marketing person who was like, hey, I got a brand new logo for you. What do you think about this? It's just a V. How about that? Like, like, can you imagine, like, turning this in? I would feel like if I was doing this as a high school assignment, I'd be afraid I was going to get an incomplete or something. Like, where's the rest of it? This is the logo. Uh, I, this is, like, the most Vanderbilt thing ever to me. I mean, it's not a bad logo i don't guess uh but it is not dramatically different than the old logo i mean this is like the most vanderbilt thing ever hey everybody look at us we're doing something new but it's actually the same old vanderbilt that it's always been the same old v it's kind of always been so uh nonetheless um vanderbilt announced a new logo yesterday and the uh, internet kind of had some fun with that so i guess we'll join in and do some of that ourselves now let me tell you who does have a very cool logo and way cooler than that silly v that uh vanderbilt <laughs> is trying to push on you I'm talking about my friends at the Finish Long Drink. When they make big corporate announcements, it never disappoints. It's always really, really exciting because it's always about enjoying tasty beverages. And who wouldn't want to do that? So if you haven't tried it yet or if you haven't seen the logo, just go to the, <laughs> the Finish. I'm probably overselling the logo, but it is it is a nice logo. Uh, the Finish Long Drink. Uh, check them out online at thelongdrink.com. You can find out about the four different varieties, whether it be the traditional, comes in a blue can. Uh, the Cranberry, that's cool there as well it's like a gin kit cranberry flavor or the traditional has kind of like the you know kind of citrus grapefruit type flavor there's the long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero uh that's no carbs no sugar it's all really fun it all tastes great and it's easy to enjoy it's a ready to drink cocktail it means it comes in a can looks sort of like a beer but it's not it's a ready to drink cocktail so enjoy you may be saying well ba what is a ready to drink cocktail i can tell you but the best way for you to find out is to try some yourself whichever variety you think sounds like the right one for you i bet it probably is so you can even do this you can get an eight can variety pack which is two different cans of each of the different finished long drink variety so go to the longdrink.com and find out where you can pick yourself up some today beverage stores restaurants bars golf courses the finished long drink is available all over the place and you can certainly enjoy yourself some today all right so quick explanation here before i show you the golden shoe so one of the things i have learned working for a website which is you know what dog nation kind of is is that when you're posting something online the picture you use to accompany the story really helps tell the story. Before I worked for a website, I didn't really probably understand that to the degree that I do. But you want to choose a good picture to go with your story because it just makes the story seem better. That if it's a happy story, a happy face. If it's a sad story, a sad face. Or, you know, the story just helps tell that story. And so I should say the picture helps tell that story. So sometimes one of the things that we use are crowd shots. Happy crowd, sad crowd. That help explains the way the story is supposed to make you feel. Does that make sense? Okay, well, here's the thing. When we show these crowd shots on DogNation.com, I kind of always wonder who these people are and what they think about having their face plastered all over Dog Nation. I very rarely hear from any of them. However, that has changed today. The uh, uh, golden shoe, do we have the golden shoe? We don't have the golden shoe today. 
Uh, I, I don't have any way of uh, looking at So I guess we don't have a uh, golden shoe here today. But um, anyway, uh, our, our buddy Brian Whitehead had sent this to me. We'll show this to you tomorrow of himself being used as a thing for the uh, golden shoe. So uh, that's good stuff. Uh, we'll uh, we'll share that for you tomorrow. Gator hater updaters. We say goodbye here. Four thousand eight hundred twenty two days. Appreciate uh, those lousy stinking gators continue to be lousy and stinking. That's always kind of a fun thing. And of course, our gator hater countdown back in Jacksonville beating Florida again. 220 days from right now that is dog nation daily presented by breda pest management uh, and we will see you back on the program again tomorrow and on the podcast time out the rs andrews podcast cool down after none having one yesterday we're kind of back to normal today so i said the studio is out of commission yesterday and uh, what uh, william billy ray writes and he says is that kind of being uh <laughs> like the whole store having the flu basically going back to a, my cousin Vinny there for a moment yeah I guess that's kind of what that's like uh Billy Ray in that what really happened yesterday was is that there's some engineers that were here doing some work on something they had just be in they, they had to be in the studio and they basically kicked me out so I could do it the other thing is is like we've had some people in and out of the studio the last couple of days and it's kind of funny some of our video audience I think is actually kind of falling down their job a little bit because they notice, normally notice almost everything and uh, I had taken Eddie off the desk because I didn't want anybody to mess with Eddie. And yesterday, I'd forgot to put him back on. He wasn't on the desk, but nobody on the video seemed to notice that yesterday. So maybe they're just kind of falling down on the job there a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Billy Ray, I guess that's what that's kind of like a little bit. Um, one of our buddies, uh, Peter uh, Wilson, uh, who comments a lot on our programs, had a heart attack, and he's recovering from that. So uh, Peter's normally a video watcher, but I'll give him a shout out here there as well. Uh, prayers to him for a very speedy recovery on that. Davis Painter uh, shared with me the YouTube video of Kirby's appearance at the Macon Touchdown Club. Kirby had some very interesting things to say. Kirby in kind of a non-media setting when he's speaking, but not to reporters, almost always better, to be completely frank. And this was really good. And so we're going to do some of that on the show here next couple of days. We simply did not have time to do that today. A fantastic six and Jason Wright, both kind of expressing the same thing about Arch Manning on read both of these comments because it was uh, certainly reflective of yesterday's show. He says, it's not a surprise that Arch Manning isn't interested in an NIL deal. Fantastic success. His family is like one of the richest families coming out of the NFL. Well, to be fair, you know, your uncle's having a lot of money. It's not necessarily the same thing as you having a lot of money, but along those same lines, Jason Wright says, uh, uh, he says Cooper Manning, which is uh, Arch's father, may not be a retired NFL quarterback, but Arch's dad is a partner in an energy trading firm. He's reportedly worth $15 million. Like Connor said, Arch doesn't need to be worried about NIL. So here's the thing is I totally get that. Manning is far from the first son of a rich person to play quarterback. And even if you don't need the money, for the most part, you would still want it. The $8 million was real, then obviously, you know, no one's going to turn down a free chance to get that kind of money that that Manning's kind of lackadaisical approach to the NIL stuff leads me to believe that it's just not maybe quite as substantive as maybe some people think that it is and we'll see this play out maybe eventually Manning is very interested in NIL stuff he's obviously about to visit Texas uh, that's a school that a lot of folks think is heavily involved in NIL but one of their former quarterbacks Casey Thompson said that's actually not as true he said there's more NIL opportunities a place like Nebraska there is a place like Texas now as we said on the show maybe that's just a situation where Thompson couldn't get any of the money or maybe Texas's NIL stuff isn't quite as built out as others kind of say that it is so I think the Manning recruitment is going to be really interesting whether he goes to Georgia or not I think it's going to be a signal to the rest of us of just how much 
the college football landscape has truly changed? Is it, you know, NIL right now as the ultimate game changer that's already upon us? Or, you know, is there still a place for the guy who wants to choose the best school, the best program, the best coach, the best teammates? Is that still a part of this process at all? And I think the Manning recruitment is going to be a little bit of a bellwether for all of that. So it should be interesting to see. All right, thank you for being here for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down Today. Make sure you check out R.S. Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price. It's promised water heater goes out. In many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. So make sure you check them out. And we'll check you out tomorrow back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We'll look forward to talking to you then.